Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, February 19th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one, where people have been stepped through the use of that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. 
And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see it, turn on the microphone, and announce it by your area code. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service, and if you'll let us know how these things are landing for you, we will be grateful because then we will try and do more of what is working most effectively or efficiently for you. If you send us an email, we'll address the comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that uh, feedback occurred so you can listen to the feedback or input from the archives. And today's Monday, so we have um, time for comments and questions. Um, we've had a couple of shows yes, last week where it was just comments and questions. We had a couple other shows where I did an overview, kind of a review of the first 12 lessons of the way of mastery. And it came to me to do that because that 12th lesson of the way of mastery is explicit about saying, you know, there's just been so much offered in the first 12 lessons that's really important for anybody to ingest, make sense of, play around with the exercises, actually do the work of stepping into having a new experience for yourself of your own life and your own creative process. And everything that's, that might come in the next two books, what, what is called the, um, the way of transformation and then the way of knowing, Everything is predicated upon you know, getting benefit from those next two books, 23 lessons coming up, is based on whether or not you've actually what they call allowed the pearls of grace to sink into your consciousness, to become a part of your experience of life. And if you're not stepping into realizing how you are actively creating your experience of life, if you're not willing to experiment with canceling everything you think you know and everything you think you need, then you can go ahead and read the next two books, the next 23 lessons, and yet you'll have very limited input, experience, 
shift in your consciousness when doing that. Because the shift, the improvement, the change in experience is based on your willingness to do, do life differently, do your perceptual process differently, cancel judgment and learn to live in the direct observation of life with allowance and surrender and um, clear focus and intention with consistency. So, um, the archives from the last couple of weeks have been finishing the reading of the 12th lesson, the first 12 lessons, and then a couple of shows where there was just this overview, a summary overview of the first 12 lessons. And this is a great time for comments or questions about what people are experiencing in listening to the first 12 lessons and or talking about what the your own experience has been in terms of changing how you're approaching life or whether or not you're able to take increasingly more and more responsibility for what you're experiencing in your life. We had somebody call in on Friday and talk about the letters from love or unconditional love and that exercise that was suggested by Liz Gilbert and the on your in the um, we can do hard things podcast where they read those letters and talked about the difficulty in the process of allowing something other than the conscious logical mind to take over in that process and um The invitation was there for any of us to do that. And to do that exercise, all one has to do is just clear some space, get a clear sheet of paper, and write at the top of it, Dear love, what would you have me know today? And then let your stream of consciousness, not conscious logical thought, but just the free form flow of energy write a response and just assume that the ancient scriptures where they say you know ask and it shall be given knock and it shall be opened that that relates to this kind of a process that if you are willing to ask and then trust that whatever shows up is going to be just what you need to see to begin to heal here and move forward or gain some insight, then it will indeed be useful. And it it bucks what the uh, conscious logical mind has been 
led to believe is the way to live life. But that's good because the bottom line observations that I deal with with people when they come in for therapy, the first one is, hey, if whatever you're doing isn't working, feel free to try something else. And this is definitely different. This is the opposite of trying to think through the solution. This is understanding that there is a flow in life and that my experience of life will be better, will be greatly improved the more I learn to allow and accept and surrender to and ask to be taught by that flow of life and or the intelligence that gave rise to me and all of life. And that's our invitation for much of this work, beginning with the promise in the way of mastery. And it is certainly the invitation in every reality management worksheet process where I map out how my conscious logical mind is telling me that my anger or my fear or my resentment or bitterness or hurt is justified. And once I map that out, then I cancel all of it and ask to be shown something else, a whole new way of looking at, experiencing, interpreting, and responding to the life, the flow of life events. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, I will see it, and we can have a conversation. So in lieu of anyone doing that, I will return to the book, The Way of Mastery. And the the place we left off would have us come into the 13th lesson which is the beginning of the second book, which is called The Way of Transformation. <clears throat> and The Way of Transformation, Lesson 13, or Lesson 1 in The Way of Transformation, in the big blue book where all these three books are put together, this is listed as Lesson 13. And the title of that lesson is you are unlimited spirit. And as so often happens in these lessons, it starts with the three words, now we begin. And the essence of that teaching is that there is only now. We are always beginning. Each moment is an opportunity to start fresh. And the text reads, Now we begin. Indeed, as always, greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. We come forth to join with you. And yet, we are not apart from where you are. We are not inaccessible to any of the Creator's offspring. In truth, separation does not exist 
in all of creation. This can only mean that I am not apart from where you are. And where you are has nothing at all to do with the location of the body that you have learned to call your own. In truth, you are pure spirit. Capital S, spirit. In truth, you are as I am. In truth, that which you are abides throughout all dimensions of consciousness. In truth, that which you are has never tasted separation from your creator. There is an aspect of you that has chosen to perceive yourself as identified with the physical body in your third dimensional world called time and space. This is a part of the experience you have created and thus called to yourself. But when I speak of self with a capital S, I speak not of the little s self, which is the dream of the body. The little s self that you have identified yourself with. Rather, I speak of the capital S self that transcends all limitation and exists in all dimensions. Beloved friends, by way of introduction to that which we will be speaking unto in the next 12 lessons, which is called the way of transformation, please rest in this simple truth. At no time are you imprisoned within the body. At no time, and then it repeats, at no time are you limited to the appearance that you have come to believe is you. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how certain you have been of what you call your common sense telling you, quote, I am here, I am this body, this moment is happening, this is all there is, close quote. Regardless of all of that, the capital T truth is not shaken. You are not the mere appearance of the body-mind that you have called the, quote, self, close quotes. Now, with that simple point as a foundation we can begin. Everything about this work is predicated on the observation that you are not just a body. You are not your thoughts about yourself. As Krishnamurti would say, the thought is not the thing. The name you give a thing is not the same as the thing. The name you give yourself is not who or what you truly are. any more than if you have one of those cameras that can take an instant picture, whether it's a Polaroid or today the smartphones or cameras that have a digital image and you snap the picture and then 
seconds later, moments later, you can see the picture. That picture is not the person or thing you just took a picture of. It's a symbol. It is... It's like walking up to to the Mississippi River and dipping a cup in and taking the cup out and saying, well, here's the Mississippi River. It's, It's no more the Mississippi River then that picture is you. You are connected constantly to your source. You are connected to dimension upon dimension of existence. You are not stuck in the body. You are never a prisoner. At no time are you limited to the appearance that you've come to believe is you. If you can't even begin to stretch your beliefs, drop some of your beliefs and stretch your experience of perception to that beginning point, then none of the rest of this makes any sense. Beloved friends, it goes on to say, the way of transformation rests on exactly the same thing that all of your dreams rest upon. It's the decision concerning what you would be committed to. For you cannot dream a dream That is, you cannot create an experience in the field of consciousness without being 100% committed to it. It may appear that this is not the case, but I assure you that it is. This means that in each moment of your lived experience, what you are aware of is wholly, totally, completely uncaused by anything outside of yourself. As you hear these words, for example, if you limit yourself to being only the body, receiving certain frequencies of vibration, landing in your ears and creating a certain neurological stimulus within the brain and translating that vibration into certain words in your English language, that experience is not caused by anything outside of yourself. You are equally and infinitely free in this very moment as you contemplate these words to experience this transmission of vibration in a completely different way, beyond your language. You're free to perceive yourself from the realms of pure spirit. You are free to see me and those who join with me as we transmit this frequency that creates this vibration through your physical form. You're free to do that, but you haven't been trained to do that. I had somebody ask me this morning, why do people choose 
the victim role. And I said, well, you know, kind of a off-the-cuff answer. It was a, not in a therapy session. I didn't really have my therapist hat on at the time. And my response was, well, I would answer that with two factors. The first one is most everything about the culture you've been raised in, if you were raised in this Western culture, is predicated upon statements like, you made me angry, you hurt my feelings, you're scaring me, you're offending me, you're upsetting me, you're making me feel so good, etc. So there's a tremendous amount of conditioning to the general mode of believing things are happening to us all day, every day. They're happening to us from other people. They're happening to us from the flow of life events, from the outside, etc. And then there is this habit pattern of doing whatever has worked in the past. And by working, I mean if a person has done something and then they survived, that can be said to have worked. So from this model of evolution and growing and learning generation after generation, my ancestors did what they did and survived, and then they would do more of it. And those ancestors that did things and they didn't survive, they didn't get to pass on their genes. So the habit of diving into the bushes and running for cover at the smallest disturbance or sound of noise was rewarded in a sense, quote, rewarded, close quotes, by survival, even for those people who dove into the bushes and ran away from completely safe, harmless stimuli. So the the idea is we were probably inheriting behavior patterns and predispositions for things that leave us generating fear and over-predicting negative outcomes simply because if I'm over-predicting a negative outcome, I survive better than if I under-predict those negative outcomes. So if you were raised in the Western world, you were not trained and you were not given multiple examples of repetitions of people living as though they're absolutely free in each moment to create their experience of life and to choose love over fear in each new present moment. And yet, that's what this book from the very first lesson has been introducing us to. It says, you know, if you want to get started on this pathway to awakening, the first step is just allow this thought 
into your experience. And they, you know, they're well aware in this book that this is not something we're used to. Here's a brand new thought for you. It happens in the fifth page of the, uh, of the book. It says, look, nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you, and you experience only the effects of your own choice. The first step in awakening is just allow this thought into your mind and watch what happens. So here we are in the first lesson of the second book, and it's just amplifying that. At no time, at no time whatsoever are you limited to this appearance that you've come to believe is you, this body. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how certain you've been of what you called your common sense telling you that, I am here, I'm just this body, and this moment is happening, and that's all there is. Regardless of all of that and the thoughts in your mind that you've been conditioned to believe and trained to believe are true, you are not just the body-mind. Which means you only experience that which you've committed yourself to having as an experience. It means that in each moment of your lived experience, whatever you are aware of is caused by you. Even the experience of hearing these words and translating them into a certain meaning is caused by the process inside you. Now, earlier in previous lessons, it said, no, that's your intellect doing most of this. right? And your intellect is simply this what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind that just does what it's programmed to do. And the way of mastery, it says your intellect has been shoved full of trivialities like garbage in a garbage can. So what they're asking us to do in the first lesson of the first book and the first lesson here of the second book is shake things up a bit and introduce yourself to the thought that I'm creating everything I experience, that I'm absolutely free in each moment to choose differently. That I can actually question without digging into the conscious logical mind and trying to pick up a book and go back to the origins of of this word or that word. I can actually just sit and feel different vibrations within me and question how am I creating the experience I'm having right now when I hear these words? What am I making these words mean? Am I coloring these words with thoughts about blame and guilt and shame and how I've wasted my life and how you know, I'm going to be judged for wasting time. and Or am I just going to sit and soften and allow myself to consider what if in this next moment, right now, I can begin creating a different experience of my life? So 
So this text goes on, has a new segment titled, An Exercise to Expand Your Awareness. And the text reads, here is a simple exercise. Take just a moment within your consciousness and drop this simple pebble. Quote, I am not what I have perceived myself to be. I am unlimited, pure spirit, and nothing is unavailable to me. Therefore, in this moment, I choose to open access to other dimensions of experience so I might call this moment to me in a very different way. Close quote. So they're suggesting that we say this to ourselves, that we make this declaration. I am not what I have perceived myself to be. I am unlimited, pure spirit, and nothing is unavailable to me. Therefore, in this moment, I choose to open access to other dimensions of experience so that I might call this moment to me in a different way. Close quotes. And then the text goes on and reads, As the words are spoken, notice what images begin to come up in your field of awareness. As you perhaps imagine yourself to be far more than just a body, abiding in a far greater set of dimensions than the physical dimension. Do you see fleeting images of other beings? Do you see colors of light? Do you have subtle feelings that perhaps you'd not been aware of while you were focusing on the English translation of the vibrations? What do you notice drifting through the field of your awareness? Pay attention to it, for you cannot imagine what you have not or are not experiencing. In other words, if it's happening to you, it's as real as any other experience you have. The text goes on and says, you are the field of consciousness having that experience now. You create the capacity You decide what will enter into the field of your awareness and how you will experience it. Beloved friends, learn to look beneath the scenes. Learn to feel beyond the body. Learn to allow yourself awareness of what steals across the metaphorical corner of your eye that is, the outer edges of your current field of awareness. Come to realize that the experience you are most familiar with, that is, of being a body-mind who hears these words, which are vibrations of sound, and then you translate them into English, and therefore you perceive that you're having a conversation with one who happens to be in another body, that this is a very limited perception. 
recognize that around the edges of that, there is something far more vast, something which can be cultivated that allows you to be aware at much more refined levels. Eventually, you will be able to perceive these dimensions of energy with your eyes open as you look upon another body-mind who is currently having the experience of vibrating thoughts through it directed toward you. You call it a conversation. You will see that other being not as a body, but as a field of light. You will see colors. You will feel vibrations, and those colors and those vibrations will tell you much more than the words could ever say to you. The result, of course, is that you will not be fooled by words nearly as often as you have in the past. Now, as a sidebar here, Dr. Michael Rice has done lectures for a lot of years now where he talks about there is no such thing as a body. Everything is energy. And we are creating an image of the people around us having bodies. But in truth, the physical body doesn't exist. The energy field exists. And he says over and over again in those talks that if you had a different antenna and a different set of you know, uh, tools within your five senses to receive and then interpret those energies. You wouldn't see a physical body, Michael says. You'd see a whirling mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, quarks, etc. You'd see a field of energy nested within fields of energy nested within fields of energy. That's exactly what the way of mastery is talking about here. There's an invitation here to nudge yourself in the direction of what David E. Martin talks about in his book, Lizards Eat Butterflies, how we've got 12 cranial nerves, and yet we've only got five senses. But each of the five senses is connected to or aligned in our experience of it with one of the cranial nerves. So he says if we've got 12 cranial nerves and one for each of the five senses, doesn't it make sense that maybe there are seven more senses that those cranial nerves can give us access to if we're trained in them, if we're allowing ourselves to experience them differently? If we shift our awareness, as the way of mastery is suggesting, and we look around the edges, we look for experiences, energies, flow of life is right there, but it's not the same as what we've been trained to look at with the five senses, with the more uh, directly physical, obvious impressions in our senses. 
what happened? What would happen if you decided, I'm going to start, you might start with your eyes closed and just breathe and soften and notice when you're in the presence of someone else. What energy shifts do you have? What visual images appear behind your closed eyes? What memories from the past bubble up? What's around the edges of this gross, hard set of physical sensations that we call our five senses? And the invitation with the way of mastery is just open to that. Just start playing with it. Just explore it as a possibility. And what they say here is, there's no two ways about it, you will begin to have different experiences. And as you have those different experiences, your experience of life will shift. And you can begin that now, any separate moment. The text goes on and says, practice this little exercise as often as you choose in any and all circumstances. It is not difficult. You simply use the field of your consciousness to decide to be aware of what is around the edges of this third dimensional experience you're having. For instance, when you are in your automobile and you pull up to a red light, as you sit next to another automobile with a driver, look over through the physical eyes. If you limit yourself, you will see an automobile and another body sitting behind a wheel, similar to what your body, what you call your body, is doing behind your wheel of your automobile. What if you allowed yourself to play by looking at that being and saying within your mind, this is but one small expression of that being. I wonder what's occurring around the edges. You might surprise yourself when suddenly a thought comes into your consciousness and you know deep in yourself that that thought is not yours. It could be a thought of the person in the car saying to themselves, oh my God, why didn't I iron my husband's shirt this morning? He's going to be so angry. text then asks how many times have thoughts like that entered your mind and you've simply dismissed them as imagination the text reads what we're suggesting here is to use the most ordinary moments of your day to become aware of your own being your own naturally expanded unlimited self there is nothing truly hidden at any time in any moment you have full access 
to the totality of another soul. At other places in this book it says, all minds are joined. Earlier in this lesson it said, you are connected to all of creation. You're never separate from the flow of life. Then they ask a question. So does it sound like an invasion of privacy when we say you, at any moment you have total access to another soul? Does that sound like an invasion of privacy? Beloved friends, there is no such thing. Privacy is only important for those who believe that they are cut off and separate. And perhaps they have something to hide. In reality, nothing is hidden. As you come to trust that the deep nature of your own being is perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, and perfect love, you will begin to release the fear that you have built up around the extraordinary skills that you already possess. Now, this, this, is, this is a challenge to most people, especially in the Western world, where we're taught about our privacy and our right to privacy and you don't have a right and nobody has a right to, you know, stick their nose in your business and this, that, and the other thing. They're talking about, in this work, we're, we're being invited to an entirely different level of experience of ourselves and everyone around us. If you step into an experience of yourself, which reveals that your true being is perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, and perfect love, then any sense of a need for privacy is immediately dissolved. As long as you create a sense of being separate, then the idea of having a need for privacy and, and protecting yourself seems really important. But when you understand that there is no separation, the separation is a dream, and you understand fully, deeply, that your complete essence is perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, and perfect love, and you have skills and powers beyond what words can describe, then there's no need for a sense of separation, and there's no need for this construct of privacy that develops around the dream of separation. And I just want to point out to people that every time this has come up and people get very agitated about this and some people say, you know, you've got no right to mess with somebody else's energies and you better ask permission before you send them blessings and you better ask permission for this or that. And there, it's all about generating fear. It's all come from the initial dream of separation, which is a prerequisite for generating this experience of fear. And that fear is simply an illusion that's created by us using the power of creation itself to create an experience of being separate 
and to create an experience that there's something of value that we could lose or something of value that we need that we could be prevented from getting. All of that comes from the fantasy, the illusion, the dream of being separate. All minds are joined. You have total access to the experience of life that any other soul might have. And the text goes on and says, when you open to this, you will discover that you can trust your unlimited spirit, the capital S, spirit. As you sit in your car, looking at the one behind the wheel of an automobile next to you, and you allow yourself to relax and notice what is around the edges, as it touches your consciousness, you will realize that this means that minds are not separate one from another. If their mind is touching yours, yours is touching theirs. And you are free to send them love. You're free to notice what you pick up from another. And without opening the physical mouth, you can send the answer of wisdom that they are seeking. Imagine being able to go to your grocery store and push your little metal carts down the aisle so that you can fill it with the boxes of what appears to be fresh food and notice the thought waves of those around you. Imagine beginning to pick up what is going on in their drama, their story, their life, and actually being able to telepathically communicate to them the answers to their dilemmas. Would that not feel like a greater degree of freedom than what you're accustomed to? The way of transformation absolutely requires that you be committed to living differently. For is not transformation a change from the status quo? How can you experience transformation if you do not use time to think and be differently? Crying out to me will not do it. Reading a thousand holy books will not do it. One thing and one thing only will bring you into the transformation that you have sought. And that is the willingness to abide right where you are differently. Begin again with the simple exercise of reminding yourself that in truth you are unlimited, capital S, spirit, abiding in all dimensions. All extraordinary abilities are already inherent in your consciousness, for if they were not, it would mean that the Creator creates within equality. Your egoic mind might respond, quote, well, well, you were born with that gift, but I don't have it, close quotes. And the response is, no. The creator creates its beloved offspring, 
and the offspring is made up of the equals in spirit, capital S spirit. The only difference in the field of time is that it appears that some have accessed and cultivated their inherent abilities more so than have others. When you use this to perceive another as more special than you, as a way of proving to yourself your lack of worth, your smallness, and your weakness, you're creating that experience. You think that perhaps someday, if only you lived the next 100,000 lifetimes being a good person, then maybe these abilities will begin to spontaneously show up in you. But there are no accidents and nothing you see being made manifest in the life of anyone. None of it has occurred by accident. Everything you see is deliberate. Everything. Therefore, if you would look upon another and say, oh, they can talk with Yeshua, but I could never do that. Stop lying to yourself rather come to see that this ability is being made manifest in your field of awareness and it's because you have called it to yourself as a reminder of what is already inherent within you if another person lays the hand of the body on the forehead of one who is sick and the one who is sick arises and the disease is no longer present, remember that you have called that experience to yourself through that beloved brother or sister, and you've called it into the field of your consciousness to remind you of the truth of your being. And if then you feel attracted to being a healer, then Drop everything else you are committed to and begin healing. So this is an exercise we are being invited into. It starts with reminding myself, I am not what I have perceived myself to be. I am unlimited, pure, capital S, spirit, and nothing is unavailable to me. Therefore, in this moment, I choose to open access to other dimensions of experience so that I might call this moment to me in a different way. So it begins with that, and then it moves on to wherever you are. If you're driving in your car, if you're walking in a grocery aisle, understand that there are layers and levels of consciousness and energy and experience and wisdom available to you. And they may just be just beyond the edges of what your physical senses will show you. So ask to be shown, beginning with the reminder that you are unlimited, pure spirit, and nothing is being withheld from you.
Nothing is hidden from you at any time. And it says, and in any moment, you have full access to the totality of another soul. And if that sounds like an invasion of privacy, get over it, because there is no separation. There is no privacy. There is no need for privacy in the truth of life. The truth of your reality and the reality of every other person you see is that they are perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, and perfect love expressing in form. They may have temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance, but they are as you are. The creator creates with equality. It only appears that some people have gone ahead. It only appears that they have accessed and cultivated their inherent abilities more than others. And when you observe somebody seeming to heal somebody else or seeming to have an ability to speak with their creator or make incredibly good decisions, This work, this exercise would have you recognize you've called that to yourself and your field of awareness as a reminder that that's that's possible for you. Nothing is withheld from you. You have access to the totality of creation and you simply haven't been taught that that's the truth. This work is introducing you to that as a potential and you're free to explore it and play with it every moment of every day. And that's clearly the invitation here. Cancel everything you think you know. Cancel everything you think you want and learn to look lovingly upon every place in your mind where fear is made a home. That's the beginning of this work. And then watch what opens up to you. Watch the potential for expansion. Expansion of what? Expansion of your own consciousness. Expansion of your experience of life. Expansion of your access to levels of energy, skills, insights, intuitions, connection with others. All minds are joined. Nothing will be denied you. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened. All of these teachings are pointing toward the same thing that the Way of Mastery Lesson 13 is introducing us to in the very beginning of this lesson. So that's our time for today. Thank you all for listening. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. I appreciate it. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks.
So welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Monday, February the 19th, 2024. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give, oh, there he is. I started to say give Michael a moment to dial in, but he is with us. <laughs> I'd be here. Welcome. I got in the first time today. Good. Well, welcome. Yeah. Well, welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here and that we go to the next level of um, moving the mind out of the way and stepping into truth, a la first century Aramaic Yeshua and understanding the words of his first century Aramaic teachings. So, bottom line, that's what we're working on. That's what we're here to do, is to really comprehend those teachings and to, through, their, through the work with them, to build the brain cells, to develop the brain cells, to be out of our minds when it's time to be out of our minds, and to have a mind that supports accurate content when it's time to make use of our minds. So that's kind of basically what we're, we're here to do. That's the work we're here to do. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have any uh, questions from the app or in the chat room or anybody with a hand up before we get started? Um, I will go to my other email. I think that I looked and we've answered all of them, but I will double check. Nobody has a hand up. Nope, we've answered all the questions. Awesome, cool. Well, then I'm going to just pick up a little bit of where we left off on Friday just to have the continuity and... You know, we're, we're in a conversation with Yeshua. We're working right now on the Enlightenment book, and we've veered off into one of the products of the Enlightenment work, which is the book, uh, The End of Suffering, and how to be working through the blocks in the mind. And Yeshua says to the character in the book, uh, do you recall how often and how many ways I said, why do you not understand my speech? even because you cannot hear my word. And then he explains what he means. He says, the mind structured in the ways of the world. You'll notice in the scriptures, there's, there are two minds that are spoken about there. There's the mind of man, or the world mind, and then there's what was called the mind of Christ. Now, in Aramaic, you need to understand that the word Christ is not a proper name. It is not the name of a man. It is the name of an office. You know, in the same way as if I ran for mayor tomorrow and won the election, you wouldn't call me, or you might call me Mayor Michael, but that wouldn't mean mayor was part of my name. It would be the office that I occupy. And so the word Christ is an office. And Remember, Paul talks about it's the mind of Christ in you. It's the, the mind when you move into that office that that's your hope. That's what will clean things up. So we have this mind structured in the ways of the world. And if you don't have the eyes to see what is happening in the actuality, then your mind substitutes 
the pictures that it holds. And it substitutes those pictures. So one mind substituting its content for an experience, a direct experience of the actuality. So Yeshua goes on to, to explain, the mind structured in the ways of the world cannot actually perceive the intended meaning of my words because it can't see past its own content. It cannot produce realities that do not match what it thinks it already knows. It is waxed gross. So he's introducing a term here from the ancient scriptures, waxed gross, and then he defines what waxed gross means, and that is hypnotized by its own internal meanings. There is much to give up, he says, to make room for the understanding of my work, to be able to perceive me truly and accomplish what I did, to even hear me. By giving up, I do not mean sacrifice, but release of the untrue. The misunderstandings, the hostilities, the fears, the behaviors in your life that only appear to work for you. So ultimately what he's saying is you've got to disable the fear-based mind. You remember how many times he speaks about fear not, fear not, fear not, and yet there are those who will pretend to be speaking in his names that will tell you that fear is the beginning of wisdom, fear of the creator. So let's see if we can make this straight. So fear of love is the where, you, where your wisdom starts. No, I'd say that's where the dumbing down of the mind happens. So the idea is to disable the fear-based mind, to forgive as to any form of fear that there is within you. So this giving up that I'm speaking about does not mean a loss, but rather one that brings gain because it makes room for the blessings the truth brings. Now, it, it, it's not a, a, for the faint-hearted to move from a culture that lives in a language of, you made me angry, you made me sad, you made me afraid. But what we're ultimately saying is, it's time to step up to the plate and take responsibility for what's going on inside of you. If you're angry, then know that there is an energetic pattern in you that doesn't belong in you. And in the Aramaic sense, that would be called sin. Remember, the Aramaic term, sin, is simply an archery term. If you fired at the bullseye on the archery range and you missed that bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin. All the word means is off the mark. You know, over the last 40-some years of working with the Aramaic, probably the most common feedback I get when I meet somebody that, you know, maybe I haven't seen them in 20 years. Maybe they haven't been in a workshop in 30 years. And I'll say that one, one thing I remember that's changed my life so much is that sin, it just means off the mark. We actually were having that conversation with Arya this morning and talking about how energies that are off the mark, things that don't belong in the structure or in this system, are sin. Nothing to do with morals or any, you know, I mean, somebody in a low moral standing might engage in energies that are off the mark more often than one who doesn't. But the idea is to bring the mind up to standard with energetic patterns that belong. So notice, he says, there are those who promote victimhood as though it's a virtue and make it appear as though my work, my life, and my pathway to the Creator were suffering and sacrifice. Nothing could be further from the truth. My pathway to the Creator was clearly love, but the world mind glued to its woes. 
uses the idea that my crucifixion and death were about suffering and sacrifice to justify clinging to an ancient misperception of a punishing, wrathful creator. A creator that could only be appeased by the blood of his own son. I demonstrated a principle and truth worlds apart from that. A truth that the world mind has not yet gained comprehension of in the last 2,000 years. So, Yeshua came to demonstrate, and you know, the, you remember when we started this conversation, the name of this book originally was The 11 Most Important Words Ever Spoken, and that Yeshua was laying out a protocol for having a mind that could comprehend what he taught, how a mind lives in truth. So, Yeshua came to demonstrate this protocol in a behavioral fashion. He didn't come to, you know, tell us about the excellence and benefits of suffering. I've been cast, he says, by the world mind as the king of victims. But I never played such a role. I had no intention of making it look like suffering was the way to God. My message, interpreted through a cultural mindset of victimhood and fleshed out by those who are, are lost in their own unresolved pain, was turned up inside out. It was a totally incorrect interpretation of what I intended. What I did wherever I saw suffering was to presence the love of God and thereby quickly dissolve and bring that suffering to an end. I brought healing. Give me a second here. I'm just making a note. So I brought healing and came to teach you the same. So remember, the title of our book is The End of Suffering, not The Excellence of Suffering. I never said a word in praise of suffering. I did not allow suffering to carry on one second past people's willingness to heal. If you look carefully into your scriptures at my meaning for the word suffer, you will see that I used it primarily to mean to permit or to allow. So he offers a quote where he said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. And you notice there's a whole theology that's built on a different interpretation of that word. On the two occasions when I mentioned sacrifice, I was very clear that that was not what the Creator wanted. I said, but go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. How could some think they were following me and build a dogma based on sacrifice? Only one waxed gross, trapped in the world mind and so focused on victimhood that they could not hear my words. I said in plain Aramaic, learn mercy and forget sacrifice 
yet they still wanted sacrifice, could only think in terms of sacrifice because they were enslaved to it. And sadly, still are. That's what filled their minds. That was all they had the ears to hear. And this concept of being whacked grossed is a really important concept to understand. Their minds were waxed gross in sacrifice. Listen once again to what Isaiah said about this being waxed gross and what it would do to a man or woman. Waxed gross means that in hearing he shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see but shall not perceive. Their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart. What do you suppose the alternative to a mind wax gross is? Remember the first condition? Rachma. Many think that they understand this idea. of being waxed gross. It is a state of being deaf and blind to even a simple truth. Simply stated. I said, and I want to quote uh, Daddy Bush, read my lips. I said, no sacrifice. Period. Now, you know, there are all kinds of people in the field of churchianity that do sacrifice over and over. I mean, in the Middle Ages, there were people who, who took whips and they put pieces of metal on the rawhide and they whipped themselves until they bled so that they could suffer. Remember, he says, the human mind can only think in terms of its own content. To change your mind's content so that it can consistently produce realities based in love and a different reality for what happened the day of the crucifixion requires inner work. I came to give humanity the tools with which to change its mind. The tools with which to do their work and see differently. Will you do the inner work required to open and quote See with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart. Or will you remain wax gross with fear and hostility? Rest assured that if you have suffering, fear, or hostility in any form in your life, your heart is wax gross and you are not yet hearing my words. To quote-unquote understand with your heart is not an easy thing, for you must let go of your mind's interpretations long enough to grasp truth. And you must be willing to be out of your mind. Uh, of course, I, I want to, but, but how is such a thing achieved? Is it really possible in such an insane world as ours? The wars, the rumors of wars, the violence in our world causes fear in everyone, and we have enough to be we have to be tough and ready to fight for what's right. Yeshua says, that is your mind wax gross. 
in fear and violence. But but this love stuff got you killed. Yes, but have you noticed they couldn't keep me that way? The insane world does not co- is not the cause of your hostility and fear, but the reverse is true. Your hostility and fear cause you to produce an insane world or see an insane world where, in truth, reason exists. Character says to him, I don't see the logic in that. He asks the question, have, have you ever stood in front of someone and acted reasonable, sane, and even perhaps loving, and had them accuse you of all sorts of bizarre, off-the-wall things? And had your accuser go a little or maybe even a lot crazy? And then to add insult to injury, they claim it was your fault and that they were your innocent victim? Well, uh, actually, yes, too often. So you stood in a loving, sane space, and they accused you of being the crazy one. Yes, been there, done that. So their hostility or fear caused them, with no provocation, at least no external provocation, to produce in their minds what looked like an insane world. Thinking that what is happening inside one's own mind belongs to someone else is the true definition of insanity. And without the tools to manage the output of the mind, one will remain insane, no matter where they are in the echelons of power. It has been said that the Creator could only be satisfied by the sacrifice of His Son, by my death. That was certainly not my teaching. Whose do you suppose it was? The world mind waxed gross, that is, filled with the belief in the heathen ritual of blood sacrifice, was and is deaf to my instructions. How clearly does it have to be said? What has become a cornerstone of faith in me, for many, is in direct opposition to my words. How blatant does the disregard for my teaching have to be before people wake up from the slumber of induced fear implanted by those who had controlled them and did not understand? I said, but if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. The interpreters of my, of my words are all dead. I am alive. I said, the things I do, you too can do. Do you think they heard me? Without the eyes to see and the ears to hear? Who could hear the truth of my demonstration? Who could see what I was actually doing? I came into a world where suffering and victimhood was the norm and purposely chose what appeared to be the worst affliction available to show how I could not be touched by it. The world mind misinterpreted my message and focused on suffering. It was incapable of living out of the protocol I said was necessary. And therefore it rendered them incapable of understanding. 
There are those who will say that the Greek is the original language of the scriptures. If that's true, why do even the Greek scholars admit that Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani was left in the original Aramaic? Why have my Aramaic roots been covered up? Who stands to benefit? Do you have any idea what I actually said? Or better yet, what I meant? Greek renditions of my life and teachings have portrayed aspects of the crucifixion of my life totally inaccurately. And many of the fine points of my teaching have been clouded and hidden. And actually, I'm going to change that one word from many to most. A falsification has taken place in the key words I said on the cross. My thoughts were displaced in the Greek translation by ideas that never entered my mind. My thoughts were displaced in minds that were waxed gross. Give me a second, I'll make a note here. I had set this book aside, and I'm seeing as I'm doing this that I really need to get back to it. I said nothing during the crucifixion that portrays suffering. I said, behold, I make all things new, and as currently presented, I certainly did not speak of being forsaken by my Father, by our Father. I developed a refined form of forgiveness designed to free people from suffering. I taught, practiced, and demonstrated the effectiveness of that tool, but a backward interpretation of the crucifixion turned my mission upside down. Make room in your mind to grasp my words in their original context, and you will begin to see what I did and its potential meaning to humanity that is so locked in victimhood that it seems to be the only way, in fact, a desirable way to live. Eli, Eli Lama Sabachthani, was my statement of thanksgiving and an expression of my excitement at the insight I had gained through what appeared to others to have been the last days of my life. Oh, well, what, did, what did those words, Eli, Eli, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. What, what did they mean, I ask? If I told you, do you think you have the ears to hear it? Do you think you are developed enough spiritually to actually make sense of why I would be in celebration while hanging on a cross, crowned in thorns? It's time to rethink everything you think you know about me because to a great degree you've been taught an fear, heathen philosophical system in place of my instructions which are only meaningful when understood in their original context. I came to put an end to suffering. 
not promote to promote it as a pathway to God. I intended to show that suffering has no effect on those who freed themselves from victimhood. I demonstrated that life delivers circumstances to make it look like suffering is the only option, but instead of suffering, I held to the mind of love in the presence of my enemies. And he puts that word enemies in quotes. In your world of hostility, national and interpersonal war and religious prejudice, who is ready? Who had the years to hear that instruction? I established through demonstration what was possible for every human being. Each experience that seems to demand suffering is nothing more than an opportunity to free ourselves from the burden of that particular form of suffering which comes from our own minds. And the tool for gaining that freedom is forgiveness. I did not suffer because I healed my mind's ability to inflict suffering on myself. In such an experience, you must forgive, which is to remove that particular aspect of suffering from your body's mind and therefore end even the possibility of experiencing that form of suffering again. The world mind, trapped in its own stresses because of the lack of the presence of love in their lives, believes everyone else is to blame for the conditions in which one finds themselves and for the realities it experiences. Wanting to appear religious, it then counsels forgiveness, but substitutes the idea of pardoning in place of what I thought about forgiveness. It piously suggests you let others off the hook for your suffering, that which you've inflicted upon yourself. Excuse me, I'm making a note. This so-called forgiveness does nothing to change the source of the suffering which is within. I counseled, from your hearts, forgive. This was not a bleeding heart statement, not a sentimental nice guy. Let them off the hook directed, as it's been interpreted. The word heart in my native Aramaic is the equivalent of your word unconscious. I was saying, in effect, you must go into your own pain, though you've blamed another for it. Your pain comes out of what you've denied and suppressed in yourself. And while your brother triggers that pain in you, what you're feeling is your own and you must remove from the depths of your unconscious, your heart, 
the wrongs you think belong to your brother. Humanity has spent centuries misunderstanding this most important principle and misusing forgiveness. Instead of each doing his or her own inner work, and thereby disabling the mind's ability to even produce suffering in any form, most turn their attention to everyone else's mistakes, as if their pain would go away if only someone else would change. Do you hear how ridiculous it is to, quote-unquote, forgive others for what's internally produced? Once again, my instructions have been ignored. I said, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Why do you live in blockage of truth? If you actually practice forgiveness as I taught it, if you utilize it to change the painful realities in your own mind first, the result will be the life of serenity I thought was possible. But you must use the tool as I presented it. And it has nothing to do with letting others off the hook for what's going on inside of you. Change the painful realities in your own mind first, and the result will be a life, the life of serenity I thought was possible. Truly, you will then be able to say with me, I am not of this world. To experience this, one must follow my directive that said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That is, deny his own insane mind. Take up his cross and follow me. Notice I suggested you take up your cross, not mine. If you've taken up your cross and followed me, and life delivers circumstances that make it look like suffering is the only option, then because you have forgiven, that is, removed every reality of suffering, there will simply be no capacity left to suffer in you. Anger, fear, and all of its accompanying sanities will disappear. Vengeance, one of the byproducts of projected suffering, will also dissipate. And instead of suffering as the world mind would, you will love and support. You will be literally the space of active love, even for your quote-unquote enemies because it is your highest nature to do so.
That's what I demonstrated. That's why they couldn't kill me. Not because of the excellence of suffering. In your world of hostility, who understood why I healed? My adversary, the high priest's servant, instead of attacking like Peter did. Peter's mind was waxed growth with fear, defensiveness, and attack, attributes of the world mind. He, like the others, did not understand my mission and tried to protect me from the triumph of my life. He was still trapped after three years of personal instruction by me in the world mind. With absolute clarity and confidence, I went through the worst nightmare a human can imagine and came out the other side unscathed. I simply carried on my work. I established through demonstration what was possible for a human being. I truly have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. With it, the open door to eternal joy, youth, and life, you will experience what others called heaven where others experience only hell. It is the key to unlocking the secrets of and putting an end to words that hold a message that was never understood. My words provided a reason to end suffering in a world that only knew how to perpetrate it. He shook his head in disbelief. The old ways could only think in terms of suffering and retribution. All that insanity after I told them, you have heard that it has been said thou shalt be the space of love for thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, have rachma for your enemies. Be space of active love and bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And be the space of love for those who despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the reflection over the children of your Father, which is the community of love in which you were designed to live. He maketh that presence of love, the sun, to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain, the just and the unjust. Know carefully the instruction I gave here and the result it would produce if it was followed. If you wish to stand in the world as the offspring of the Creator rather than the offspring of the world mind, you must 
be the space of active love. You must recognize yourself as love and reflect that into the world. Holding the space for enemies and those that curse you. This is the key to sanity. Because each energy you engage in produces so-called chemistry in your body. This is the pathway that must be learned and traveled to follow me. And in it, there is no room for discrimination, hostility, fear, crusades, wars, or inquisitions. If your disdain, your condemnation, etc., is is aimed at self or another, you're out of harmony. Well, I replied to him, that's certainly clear, but who could live up to such a standard? Only those who understood my teachings as I meant them and embodied the protocol I gave them. Only those who face the lower nature in themselves and done the inner work as I taught it. It was a work difficult to grasp, even for the average person who heard me speak in my native language. It was a work unspeakable and incomprehensible in the Greek. That is why so many atrocities have been done by those who seem to be my followers. One with a stormy personality who did not understand the protocol and the tools I laid out twists my words and brings their violent behaviors to what seem to be my teachings, appearing to be my followers because they mimic my words. They have no comprehension of my actual teachings and rationalize the substitution of their behaviors for mine, doing their insanities in my name. Of course, those insanities had to do with their human propensities, not my teachings nor the church. Even as you apply the tools I demonstrated, taming your violent, critical inclinations, you will encounter an experience of being that which has not even been imagined by most humans. I offer him the thought, I've always wondered how so-called Christian nations could go to war. And in more than one occasion, I've had someone tell me their minister or priest told them it was their duty to go to war and kill for the country. And when I think of that, it puzzles me every time. They could only misinterpret the simple, clear directive I gave because their minds were waxed gross. Their old beliefs making a note here. Their old beliefs were rooted much deeper than my teaching. Their actions, reinforced by repeated engagement, were vested in fear, violence, suffering and retribution reinforced by the expectations of the world mind that kills and imprisons those who do not go along with its violence and vengeance. 
those beliefs, how from the past and the behaviors they prompted seem necessary to protect them in a fierce conflict and poverty-ridden world. However, while a threatening response to anything may bear the fruit of protection, it prevents the experience of existence. Existence as the presence of love. I know already pointed them toward it, but demonstrated it. And they could not understand because their minds were wax gross. In order to miss my core message, voices from the past louder in their minds than the higher truth I attempted to give them ran their lives. Thus my words became seeds, just seeds. Or to many they were nice words often repeated, but behavior is always based, based on the loudest voice in one's mind. Within an hostility and fear-based mind, my words are impossible to live by. To hear and act on truth, one must open this filter I spoke of called Rachma and nurture truth more than their current realities, past beliefs, and past ways of expressing. The only reflection of the honoring of truth is the ability to live it. Where love is not expressed in behavior, it in fact does not exist. Love cannot abuse verbally, physically, mentally, or emotionally. Where the inability to live a truth exists, it reflects attachment to a false god. When I said, he that believeth on me is not condemned, I meant the false gods like fear and guilt must be given up and relationship with love must be maintained as I taught. In so doing, the destruction wrought by those false gods would be avoided, hence release from condemnation, the equivalent of what people called salvation. To believe is to be living. When I said to Peter, after leaving the Garden of Gethsemane, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I gave a definition of Satan. The reason my work has been left untried is that each must face in themselves everything in their past that removes the awareness of the presence 
of the love of God and therefore inhibits the ability to live that first law. It's a challenging piece of work that I brought for each one to do. To hear and act on the truth, you must first honor truth more than your own past. Honoring the past more than the truth, even if that truth can bring enormous benefits, again, was called wax growth or also called hardness of the heart. It is difficult, if not impossible, to hear through a hardened heart. The protocol, the first law I gave, is a way to bypass a hardened heart. Spiritual leaders whose hearts have been hardened will superimpose their fears and hostilities onto my teaching and use them to control. Beware, they and parts of the religious and political system may want, once again, to crucify me or you because my true teachings liberate people and put them into direct relationship with love instead of making them cower in fear before some human authority. The Creator is love, and one that dwelleth in love dwelleth in the Creator and the Creator in him or her. Fear is the absence of the active love of God. Fear defiles and destroys the human temple. It has no place in you. Your temple is certainly not designed to be a home for fear. And hostility, it will destroy your temple. My heart left into my throat with all the study I'd done. How could I have not been taught that there was a protocol, a prerequisite, as it were, for reading the scriptures? My head spun in a thousand directions, wondering, all my life I've wanted truth more than anything. How could I have missed something so important as the first step? An old terror that I'd learned in the church in childhood began to stir in my mind. I hesitated to ask, wanting to hide my ignorance, but finally I blurted out, What are you talking about? What do you mean? A lawyer once asked me, he says, what the greatest commandment of the law was, and my answer I put the key to reading the scriptures in a way that reflected their intended meanings and ultimately the key to life itself. Do you remember my answer to him? I've repeated the answer a thousand times in my work. and said, you said you shall maintain rock love for the creator with your entire mind, with your whole nafsha, and with all your actions and in all your thoughts. This is the greatest commandment. Yeah, I know it by heart. It takes precedence overall, and the second, which is like unto it, you shall maintain Rachma love in your mind for your neighbor as for your nausea, and by thereby maintaining yourself. I felt like a school kid being quizzed, and I thought I'd passed. In this instruction, I gave you the tools with which to govern your mind. I was, in effect, telling you how to keep it on track, and therefore... Be in charge of your own life. 
Rest assured, if you don't know how to govern your mind for yourself, someone else will show up and take over both your mind and your life. This has always been the plight of the poor, the ignorant, and the suffering masses. Those who live off them do not want truth in people's hands because when you, quote-unquote, know the truth, the truth shall make you free. As a result, people have been taught to subtly reject or superficially embrace what I said as religious. My work is not religious in the traditional sense. It's the pathway to liberty and truly living. My intention is to educate as to the laws that govern how life works, the laws of living. Living out of full knowledge of these laws is true religion. The human mind can justify and rationalize anything it wants to or decides to do or believe without knowing and following the rules to keep that mind on track once it decides the only evidence that it feeds is the evidence that will support the decision. That's all that can be seen in the mind. The mind is capable of blocking truth totally, and when it does, no matter how obvious a particular fact is, if it's inconsistent with the mind's decisions, that fact becomes invisible. The mind will provide itself all the documentation it needs to make its conclusions justifiable, rational, and reasonable. The solution to this blockage of truth is honoring truth and following the protocol I laid out. And we're down to about 10 minutes now. And so I'm going to just uh, check in with our listeners. Ms. Cini, do we have anything happening in the chat room? Or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? If you're out there with a question and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, if you dial the phone number 563-999-3581, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push 1, that will raise a hand, and Miss Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us and introduce you. It is all quiet on this end. If somebody hits 1, you're first in line. We've got nine minutes. So if you're out there in listener land and you have a thought for us, push one. Is this making sense? Is this fitting for how to develop a mindset that can support what Yeshua was actually teaching? Anyone with a question, a thought? Anyone who is working on an issue where you need some support? perhaps with the forgiveness tool, perhaps with the communication tool. I was working with someone earlier today that about two months ago began, began or took on the, the assignment to do some responsibility communication with a, uh, a person that they were doing business with that had just aroused all kinds of crazy in them. And through probably ten conversations, just 
mind raging, railing, just, you know. But each day doing a little more work on it. And today finally shared with me on the phone, actually as I was driving back from doing some errands, shared with me a responsibility communication that was just void of emotion, void of pain, void of trauma. I mean, it took about two months. But a simple statement of, oh, here's what I'm seeing. The the shift and the change that happens is possible. It takes time. It takes work. It doesn't happen overnight. The tools are about how to achieve the result, how to bring the result around in your own mind and restore you from a mind waxed gross, which, you know, doesn't, for most people, make any sense. What do you mean a mind waxed gross? Hopefully you've got the brain cells for that now, and you can see that if your mind, if your mind is constructing perceptions based in hostility or fear and placing those in front of your experience of yourself as love, inhibiting you from experiencing the actuality, creating a substitution, then you've got difficulty. Use the tools, and that whole circumstance and situation's changed. So, Ms. Jeannie? You've got somebody with a hand up. Let's say I hello. Do. It's area code 903. You're on the air. Who do we have? Greetings. My name is Rome. How are you all doing today? Doing well, Rome. Welcome. Glad to hear your voice. How can we support you? Is this making hey, sense for you? You, you know, um, this is making sense, and uh, this is the first uh, time I've called in. Um, i got to say I'm uh, – Thoroughly pleased to hear you on the radio, seeing that um, up until maybe a week ago or so, I looked you up on YouTube, found the website, um, and saw that you're still at it. So that's awesome. I think We're the still at it. I uh, had seen your video from... Um, I don't know why is this happening to me again. I, I, I don't know. 80s, 90s, early 90s, I'm not sure. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so um, I think it's awesome. You know, I saw yesterday that you all do um, the radio station Monday through Friday, so I figured I'd jump in here. And, um, you know, I can say a lot, although I'll, I'll save the line for, you know, someone else that comes along, but um, I think it's very beneficial getting into, you know, the scriptures and peeling back the layers. Um, I'm, I'm ecstatic to stay with you all uh, alongside that, uh, though I will say um, as a first-time listener calling in and loving the direction of your work, uh, not exactly tuned in finally to where you all are presently in the scriptures. Right. But more so to, in light of me discovering where you are currently, where would you say that I, uh, where would you suggest that I start? Just trying to get plugged well, in. Well, okay. Here you First of all, let me just say that 
uh, Rome, you hold the record now. If we go back into the 80s, that's almost 40 years ago, and I, I often hear from people 10, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, you're the first person that's tapped in. Well, I heard you 40 years ago, and now it's time to get, get rocking. So I'm delighted to hear your voice. And basically what we're doing right now, we started a study about um, 16, I think 16 or 17 radio shows ago, Jeannie, where we're looking at uh, the a book called Enlightenment, which we publish based in the Kabor's manuscript. The Kabor's is... Oh, are we up to 26 already? Oh, wow. Almost a month of... Anyway, we started with that, and Jeannie has a special page on the website with links that, and this would be a good starting point, that you could go back to day one of that study. And, and basically what we're doing is working through this book, Enlightenment, which is what we've published so far from the Kabor's manuscript. And part of that, basically what I'm working to do is to lay a foundation for people to be able to bring a mindset that would be the Aramaic mindset to these teachings where most people bring a Greek mindset. And, you know, as we've been talking about, <laughs> those minds are wax gross. And so you might want to uh, just... Today, if you go to uh, the uh, notes, if you go to our website, whyagain.org, you'll see a microphone in the middle of the page. If you click on that microphone and drill down, there'll be a set of notes that go with the show today, and there'll be a, no a link in there to the page where all the archives are of the last 26 days. So you might want to go back and start with day one. Also, we and have the world's only Rome, if you receive app. texts, I just texted you the direct link to the oh, Enlightenment Archives. Oh, this thank you so much. On it. <laughs> so on it. I did receive that. Thank you. Awesome. So you, you might want to start there. You might want to go to your app store on your phone and type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic Forgiveness. The Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop that you did back 40 years or so years ago. There's a worksheet, if you remember, that we presented in that. So the app has two different versions of the worksheet and a children's uh, app or a children's game called the Dragon Klingon Game for adults to begin to, to work through the process of forgiveness. And then the worksheets are there that you can actually do on the phone. So you could you could uh, do that and uh, and or go to the website, download the worksheets, print them off, and and start to key into the forgiveness process. If you go to our YouTube channel, there are dozens of videos there. One of the main ones you might want to step into next would be a refresher on why is this happening to me again. So if you go to YouTube and uh, just type in Michael Rice, you'll find our channel, M I C H A E L R Y C E and look for why is this happening to me again. The latest why workshop I did, I think it was last June, it's about, I think it's two hours and 40 minutes or so. And that'll bring you up to speed on most of what I've learned from when you heard the workshop originally. Uh, back then I was teaching forgiveness, had been teaching it for several years, but didn't know why or how it worked, just knew that it worked. So in that latest uh, uh, rendition of why is this happening to me again uh, in my 40 years of study since we connected previously 
I've learned why and how you would do such a silly thing as what the forgiveness Aramaic forgiveness process tells you to do. So it lays that whole thing out and goes through the worksheet process. There are at least 20 different uh, radio show links on the website where we go through the forgiveness process. There's also over 5,000 hours of archives of this radio show that you can access free as well. So lots of resources there. Well, thank you so much uh, for all of that. Thank you all for all that you do. I see the time is now, too. So We are right on the cusp of it, yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for your time, and I'll look forward to connecting with you soon. Delighted, and uh, really glad to hear your voice. Where are you located, Rome? I'm in East Texas. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, hold the space, and I'll look forward to future communication and seeing what unfolds for both of us. All right. Sounds great. All right. Blessings. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give.